Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Daniel? chapter 7, and Revelation chapter 13. Daniel chapter 7, Revelation chapter 13, in a Bible study that I've entitled Introducing the Antichrist, part 1. Because in our study so far in Daniel, we've entered into that part of Daniel that's prophetic. The first part of Daniel is more personal. We're seeing how God will bless a person, protect a person, was see how a person could go through the fires of life, who can be in the lion's den. And then the second part of Daniel is prophetic. And we've studied in the last couple of chapters uh, some dreams that Daniel's received and the prophetic significance of them. And in the dream, notice in chapter 7 and verse 7, remember it says, and I'm reading from the New Living, it says, Then in my vision that night I saw a fourth beast terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts. It had 10 horns. And as I was looking at the horns, verse eight, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. And this little horn had eyes like a human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. And I watched as thrones were put in place, and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair purest wool, and he sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. Jump over to verse 21 in chapter 7. It says, As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people, And was defeating them until the Ancient One, the Most High, came and judged in favor of his holy people. And then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. And then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He'll defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. Verse 26. But when the court will pass judgment, and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever and all the rulers will serve and obey him. We were introduced in his vision to this interesting horn. As he's laying out, remember, the successive kingdoms all the way to the end of of the last days where the revived Roman Empire will come and from within that revived Roman Empire will be this horn. And we learn that this horn is none other than the Antichrist. But there are other parts in the Bible that describe the Antichrist. And today we want to pause and look more in depth in who this man is 
and take a couple of weeks to see how he's described. So turn over to Revelation chapter 6, and we'll see as he comes on the scene during the great tribulation period, Revelation chapter 6, we're introduced to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the very first one is the Antichrist himself. Notice Revelation 6 verse 1. As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. And then I heard one of the living beings saying with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. And he rode out, rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. This guy's a very violent, battle-weary man. Notice uh, in verse 3, we have the second seal, the next horse, and on. Flip over now to chapter 13. In chapter 13, we get insights on who he is. And the question we ask would say, well then, why would we spend so much time looking at the Antichrist? How could that possibly be relevant to us? Now remember, when we're studying prophecy, we're reminded that God's word is sure and steadfast and reliable. That what God says comes to pass. That what God predicts will come to pass. And God has given us insights on who this man is. Now, I don't believe that it's God's will for us to be trying to guess who the Antichrist is. I don't believe it's God's will for us as believers to be looking for the Antichrist. I believe that it's our responsibility to make a decision and a choice daily, moment by moment, to look for Jesus Christ and his soon return. However, as we're looking to Jesus Christ, we need to remember that Jesus has his enemies. Do you have your enemies, anybody? Yeah, we have enemies. Some are personal. Some are more global. There are enemies of the cross. And because you're a lover of the cross, there are enemies in your life. Unfortunately, some among us might have personal enemies where there's just issues going on and people have taken sides. People have taken sides against you. Well, Jesus also has enemies and imposters. And the greatest imposter of Jesus Christ is the Antichrist. Now, if you're taking notes... The prefix anti basically has two meanings. And the Antichrist fills both of these meanings. Number one, the prefix anti can mean against. So that when he's referred to as the Antichrist, which actually is not a word that's used that much in the New Testament, as we'll see. It's only used a couple of times. But using this word to describe him, he certainly takes a position against Jesus Christ and the people that follow Jesus, number one. But number two, the word, the prefix anti can also mean in place of. So not just against, but in place of. And certainly the Antichrist wants to take the place of Jesus Christ in the lives of many people. So chapter 13 introduces us, or reintroduces us, to a man who comes on the scene at the beginning of the Great Tribulation period. We've already met him back in chapter 6 and also in Daniel. And in Revelation, he comes on the scene riding this white horse, causing war. You could say that the Antichrist is Satan's Messiah, his imitation of Jesus. And the word Antichrist only appears in the Bible five times in four different verses. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, chapter 2, verse 22, chapter 4, verse 3, and 2 John, verse 7. Hold your place in Revelation. Go over to 2 John, or excuse me, 1 John, 
with me. So everything from Revelation is going to be to the left. So go to the left, 1 John. Notice with me in verse, chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Dear children, the last hour is here, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such Antichrists have appeared. And from this we know that the last hour has come. So you have, if you notice, you have one that's capitalized, referring to a specific person. But along the line, you're going to meet a lot of people that are against Jesus Christ. And you're going to meet a lot of people that are trying to take the place. False teachers, false prophets. There, there's an environment as the coming of the Lord gets closer, there will be more and more Antichrist spirit, Antichrist people leading to the one. And the Antichrist ushers in a new world order, a one world government that's used to control people during the Great Tribulation period. And although we don't know the Antichrist's exact name, Throughout the Bible, there are 50 different titles given to the Antichrist, 50 different ways, at least, that he's described in the Bible. He's known as the son of perdition. He's known as the wicked one. He's known as the seed of the serpent, and on and on. And John himself is the one, as we've seen, is the one that gives us the title Antichrist. And I know when you mention the phrase Antichrist, if you want to talk about this at work tomorrow, uh, you're going to meet some people that want to make fun of you. They're going to mock you about it. And they'll, they'll probably laugh at you, make fun of you behind your back. They, they put the Antichrist up with people like, you know, Peter Pan and aliens. It's like, you believe in the Antichrist, you probably believe in aliens too. But listen, the Bible says that he is a real person. And there are distinctive descriptions given about this person. And he, the Bible says that the world will embrace him. And accept him. Because you understand a simple view of the world today. You can see that in all the uneasiness, people are looking for a person to help. And we certainly see it in our own country through the election cycle. There are people looking to a man, looking to a person to answer all of their problems. Uh, looking to a person to bring some sort of peace into their life or some sort of success. And you see that the world is so interconnected today, unlike any other time, that the Antichrist will come on the scene at a time of great upheaval. I don't want you to forget this. Many times this is overlooked. The rapture of the church, the doctrine we believe that Jesus Christ will return for his church prior to the seven-year great tribulation period, where Jesus returns for his saints, which then seven years later he'll return with his saints, the second coming. We've studied that in depth through Revelation, Thessalonians. You can study it there for, for if you want to go deeper. But the rapture of the church is going to be a cataclysmic event. It is going to wreak chaos on the world. I mean, you just imagine the, a billion believers immediately removed from the earth, immediately in a moment's time. And all the different places believers will be driving cars, flying planes, 
navigating boats, the, the, the movement of people out of the earth is going to be cataclysmic. And you know, the world's already being set up for the idea that, you know, what happened to all these people? The aliens came and got them. They fell off the edge of the flat earth or whatever it's going to be. It's already kind of set up to say it couldn't have been what God predicted thousands of years before. And with the cataclysmic event, it's, you remember those of you who studied the Great Tribulation, the first part of the Great Tribulation period is going to be a calm time. It's going to bring chaos into calmness, then the fullness of the wrath judgments of God. It's going to be unbelievable. And the man that is going to be used as a puppet of the devil is this guy known as the Antichrist. And over the years, people have tried to guess who it is. They've tried to add up numbers of the letters of your name and, and looking at different people. All throughout history, people have tried to guess. But personally, I don't care who the Antichrist is. I'm not spending a lot of time trying to figure it out. But it is interesting, is not, that there are certain people that can bring a global connection. I mean, if you want to look for just a picture of what that looks like, think of a person that is globally known as a music artist, that, that can fill stadiums around the world, that can garner following of people no matter what the language is, no matter what the economy is, just literally millions upon millions of people following celebrities, following musical artists, following sports figures, uh, the, what happens when the world comes together and countries come together for the Olympics. It's very possible, considering the world in which we live, that has been shrunk down through technology and the ability to connect with people. It always, it, it always, it, I, I never, uh, I never, what's the word I want to use? I, like I'm, I'm never shocked or like I'm never, I never lose the shock of being able to pull out my phone. I'm on the other side of the world. And in, like on this last trip, I pulled out the phone and FaceTimed my daughter. I'm, I'm, I'm 10,000 miles away and I have a phone in my hand. I hit a button and my daughter pops up and I can talk to her when she's on that side of the world and I'm on that side of the world. We take that for granted, but that's like amazing amazing and the things that are happening behind the scenes you know some of you that are in the military are privy to knowledge that you can't tell us of some of the things some of the tools you have some of the things you're into some of the things that exist it's unbelievable and it's very easy to understand how a world will embrace someone that promises them peace and you know what will be the most amazing thing that antichrist is able to do and that is to bring peace in the middle east and make a way for the Jews to rebuild their temple. We were just there, not too many days ago, sitting in the presentation of the Temple Institute, a group of, of conservative religious Jews that are at any moment waiting to rebuild the temple. They are ready. I mean, they are serious about it. And in their view of the rebuilding of the temple, which the Bible predicts a temple will exist in the Great Tribulation period. You go to Israel with us on the Temple Mount, there's no temple. Instead, what do you see? A big gold dome, a mosque. There's actually two mosques on the Temple Mount. And the, Jew, the Temple Institute believes, these people believe that the temple will be rebuilt without the golden dome there. And they're committed to it. We don't quite know how it's gonna happen, but the Antichrist is going to be empowered by the devil himself 
to bring peace in the Middle East and help the Jews rebuild their temple. He's going to make an agreement with them. They're going to sign on trusting him. And then halfway through the Great Tribulation period, he's going to break his agreement. It's amazing things. So let's look at a few things of the Antichrist, considering what we learn. Verse 1. First of all, we want to know, what is his appearance? Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The Antichrist here is typified as a beast. The word for beast he used here isn't a word used for cattle or pets. It's a Greek word that describes a wild, untamed, ferocious beast. And he's pictured as a rather weird monster with seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns. Very similar to in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon that we saw. Because the dragon and the Antichrist, the beast, are tight. And a beast is the best description for who the Antichrist really is. The world won't see this at first. But we do because God gives the insights behind the scenes. Let me just say this. If there's a situation in your life right now that that you don't know what's happening behind the scenes, you can pray and ask God to give you revelation of what's happening behind the scenes. Because, you know, not everything meets the eye. We are, many times we just settle for what we see. But not everything is as it appears. There is a spiritual dynamic behind even the things that you see with your eyes. And if there's just one of those areas where the Holy Spirit alarm is just firing off and you're not quite sure what's going on, you can ask for God to give you the manifestation of the discerning of spirits so that you can know what's happening in the spiritual realm. God may or may not give that to you. You're only presented with what's physical, but you can ask for it. And I think we don't ask enough to say, God, what's happening here? I don't wrestle against flesh or blood. It can't just be about the person. Why has this person gone sideways? Why have they all of a sudden changed? Why are they saying, well, what's going on, Lord? It can't just be the person. What's happening spiritually? Put me in a position to help them. Give me insight on their lives. It's a fascinating thing when God does that. It's amazing. And so here we are. We have insight. God has given us insight ahead of the time to say, man, this guy and anyone opening the Bible will be able to see that God is described. That will not be a surprise to those that know the Bible. He's a wild, venomous, dangerous beast who's just waiting to pounce his prey. As one commentator said, he will be an insolent intimidator, devious, possessing a power not his own, a fierce destroyer of his victims, and so arrogant that he will dare even to oppose the prince of princes. And he's known in verse 1 with this on his head is written names that blasphemed God. Number two, we learn his appearance. Number two, let's look at his authority. Verse two, the beast looked like a leopard, but it had feet of a bear, the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. And of course, we're just dropping into Revelation right now, Revelation 13, but who wants to out loud guess who the dragon is? Say it out loud. There's like a thousand people here right now. You're going to have to say it louder. Yes, you're right. Good Bible students. The dragon is the devil himself. And so notice the dragon gives the beast his own power. Wow. 
As John sees that he has seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns, the crowns speak of his authority and world control. To jump down to verse 7. The beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them, and he was given authority to rule over every tribe, people, language, and nation. His authority is global. And as you're watching the news, as you're reading the Drudge Report or you're reading the sources of news that you get your news on, pay attention to the articles that speak of global or globalism. Those are important key words that speak of, a, of an attempt politically and nationalistically to lay down the barriers and bring the world together. Do you know at the Temple Institute, those that are wanting to rebuild the temple, they literally believe that it is the building itself that will bring peace, worldwide peace. They're already being set up for it. We look at that today and go, can a building really bring peace? Yes or no, church? No, it's not a building. God doesn't reside in a building. God resides in people. He takes up residence. Now today, what? You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But those that are wanting to rebuild the temple are already being set up for the future. They're already being set up for this global peace. And they literally believe in the, pro- in the rebuilding of the temple that the building itself, not God, but the majestic building And the people that build it are going to be the ones that bring peace. And here in chapter chapter 13, verse 2, the Antichrist is depicted by these animals, a lion, a bear, and a leopard. And Daniel, Daniel received a very interesting vision with similar, similar animals. And as he was thinking about it, Daniel, remember he was given the interpretation, the lion represented Babylon, the bear, the Medo-Persian empire, and the leopard represented Greece. And then there's the Roman empire, all summed up in this one man. And what Daniel saw was a succession of world empires. And as he looked at the animals, each world dominator comes on the scene until it culminates. John, he has, in Revelation, has the same vision, but he has it backwards. He has it in reverse because he looks backwards from Revelation, not forward. And as he looks backwards, the horns on the Antichrist's head represent the ten nations that will form an end times confederacy. And we know today, I didn't look it up before I came, but we know there are far more than ten countries in the European uh, Union. But we're also finding that some countries want to get out of the European Union. And some countries are being prevented from coming in. And so how that might be in that realm of Rome and that, that area of the revived Roman Empire, how it's going to come apart, come, to, to come together, whether the ten nations are representative of a confederacy of each horn, we don't know. But wrapped up in this leader are the ingredients of all these ruling empires together. We learn in Daniel chapter 8, jot it down in verse 25, we learn that he will be a master of deception. And will become arrogant. And he'll destroy many without warning. He'll even take on the prince of princes in battle. And he'll be broken, though not by human power. And the reality of this description is that the Antichrist will rule, rule and reign upon the whole world. Not just a geographical location. A whole world. Every tribe, 
every tongue, every nation, trying to duplicate. Because that's the very same phrase is used to describe worship in heaven. That there's worship in heaven from what? Every tongue, tribe, and nation. And now here we see the Antichrist continuing, empowered by the devil himself, given the authority of the devil. He'll have far-reaching impact on the globe. You know, you can have far-reaching impact on the globe even today. And yet you can have far-reaching impact on the globe in a positive way through your prayer life. You can affect literally the world through your prayers. You don't have to physically be somewhere in order to pray for that area and impact them. Like when we have a missionary here, like we have, and, and they're telling us about the things that are going on in Ireland, while, while they're going to go back physically, you and I get to go with them through prayer. We get to pray for them. We get to pray with them. We, we get to have our hearts in Ireland. We get to be a part of what they're doing with those kids. Like through your prayer life, you can travel around the world and have global impact for good. And it's one of the areas of prayer that we can improve on. You know, we, sometimes we get so caught up in our prayer life that it just sounds like a list of things we want from God. But you know, prayer is a weapon, church. It is a weapon. It is part of your spiritual armor. It's just as important as the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. It's just as powerful as the sword of the Spirit. It's a weapon. And may we go forward not fearfully, but let's affect the globe. We don't, we don't need to worry about the Antichrist in that sense. We can affect the globe right now through our prayer lives. You look at just the time that we spent. And I, I was praying about who would be here today. You know, you guys listening on the radio, this is going to air who knows when. But we had a, a freak snowstorm of two inches come in today. And the significance of that, of course, is it makes the streets all messed up and hard to drive. And so because of that, a lot of people are just not going to want to go out in the cold. And not, a lot of people just aren't want to. But, but I knew there would be people here. And I just got this sense that the people that would show up to the facility, because you can watch online. You can get the same exact thing watching online with hot chocolate, in your jammies, with your slippers on. Like you can, you can, you can do that if you want. And if, you're, if I just described you, how are you? I, we see you. But as this airs, I was just thinking, you know, those that will be here tonight need to be here. They want to be here. They want to be, and you heard the title of the message. I just don't, man, I just don't know how learning about the Antichrist is going to encourage me. Well, I want you to know this. Anytime you open the word of God and you allow God to fashion and form you, when you come, you'll be glad that you came. Because you think of all the things that are going on and all oh, the Antichrist and all oh, the great tribulation period, all oh, the difficulties, and they're coming. We can't just put our head in the sand, church. We, we can't just pretend, oh, the master's delayed is coming. That'll affect your life. There, there'll be a lack of urgency in you. Oh, you know, we've heard this. I remember my grandmother used to tell me this, my great-grandmother. And now, the, you know, my last pastor talked about this pastor talked about. And, and, you know, what's happening in these last days is hardly any pastors are talking about this. They're just kind of lulling the church to sleep. Like, it's going to be fine, you know. Let's just make sure everything's comfortable. I'm going to teach you how to handle your money. Teach you how to be a good parent. Teach you how to drive your car. The Bible teaches you everything. But you need to know that this world is going to come to an end. It is not all there is. That this, this world will be destroyed as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And as we just learned as a church, the days of Noah sound awfully familiar to the days in which we live. Awfully familiar. And so we need to be a prepared people, a readied people, 
A people that are busy about the Father's business, that are focused on seeking first the kingdom of heaven. You go, what's all this business about the Antichrist? I'll tell you what this business is. God put in Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Revelation 6, Revelation 13, really the entirety of the great tribulation period to say, church, church, people, I want you to know. I want you to be warned. I want you to be ready. I want you to be motivated of telling people about the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to help people understand the days in which they live. I I want you to care enough that people will not be involved in these last days. Just go ahead this week, please, and read through the book of Revelation. Don't worry about getting a commentary out. Don't worry about listening to any Bible studies. Just read if you haven't recently. Because you know, we're all on right reading plans, right? Uh, We're back in the beginning of the year. We're all on reading. I'm in Leviticus right now. And you know, Leviticus is a great book. Leviticus is a book that tells me this. God is very precise in how he desires us to worship him. That we can't just do our own thing and make it up as we go. But as he gave very precise instruction to the children of Israel of how to live a holy, separated life of worship in the midst of all the paganism around them. So so that's where I'm at. But I read ahead in Revelation because that's where we are here on our midweek. And I was reading. You don't need a commentary. You don't need to listen to stuff. Just read through it and see what difficult days await those that are alive and are rejecting Jesus Christ at the rapture of the church. It is not going to be good for them. And it's not going to be any easier for them to become believers than it is right now. It's going to be more challenging for them. And you read through the God saying in a whole book of the Bible. A whole book of the Bible. We don't have Noah today building an ark for 120 years. We don't have that. There isn't any, like we're not waking up again in our whole lifetime. We got a guy building an ark. Why are you building an ark, man? Well, you know, they can see the guys out there on the news. Why are you building an ark? Judgment's coming. Oh, ha, 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 ha. Judgment's coming. He's been saying that for 120, 19 years. He's been saying that for 119 years. And then while the lady, uh, while the reporter uh, is interviewing him, a big drop of rain hits her head. And another. And another. In a few days, the water from the end, from the, from the fountain's end starts sparking up. And as you come to a gathering, you're remembering that all Scripture is profitable. And God is exhorting you to know that He's very precise, even on the end times. And for those that choose not to take the end times seriously, for those that are listening to me right now, I go, you know, you're just another one of those. And I don't even believe in that. I don't believe in the rapture. I don't believe in that. I don't believe. You've got the wrong person to fight with because I do believe in the rapture of the church and I do believe in a premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture and I do believe that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. He's going to come for the church. He's going to return with the church. We're going to rule and reign for a thousand years and it's important like in Noah's day, remember when he was building that ark, Why? Because you had to get in. You had to get in. That's the only way to be saved, is you had to be in the ark. And today, the ark is not a structure, but the way to be saved today is you've got to get into Jesus. You have to get in. There's no other way. Jesus said that he is the way, 
the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. You've got to be in Christ. You go, Ed, what do you mean? How do you be in Christ like you were in an ark? Well, to be in Christ is to acknowledge and repent of your sin. You have to admit that you've sinned. Like, you know you've sinned. You don't need a pastor to tell you that. You know you've failed. You know you've made mistakes. You may not think that God you know, exists. You might, you might just kind of dismiss that the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales. Do you know they were saying the Bible were fairy tales in Peter's day? He said he had to write for us that in the very first century, right after the death and rest, like people that saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ were still alive. And what does Peter write? Hey, we haven't followed cunningly devised fables. We're eyewitnesses, Peter says. We saw him. We saw him before he died. We saw him as he died torturously. And we saw him after he rose again. We're eyewitnesses. And you know, while we haven't seen the risen Christ, you are eyewitnesses of the power of God because he transformed your life through his resurrection power. And so we look to the reality of the coming of Jesus Christ because his coming is the blessed hope. For those of you that are hopeless, look to Jesus. He's your blessed hope. To those of you that are struggling, look to Jesus. He's your blessed hope. You go, I just don't know if this is ever going to end. It's going to end with the coming of the Lord. It's all going to be culminated. And it's going to change your life. You know, you know, when you look forward to something, you look forward to something. You rearrange your life for it. You, you know, you, you, as a family, you might be getting ready for a vacation. Man, you're looking forward to vacation. Some of you have a little app on your phone that counts down the days for you. And you're looking at another day, another day. Now, there's not an app for the coming of the Lord, but look for him. Look up. He says, Jesus said in Luke, he said, when you see these things start coming to pass, look up because your redemption draws near. And we fail to look up. We are burdened by the difficulties of life. We're burdened by the global economy. We're worried about viruses. We're worried about how we're going to pay the bills. We're concerned about what's going to happen to our kids. We, we're burdened with the weights and the cares and concerns of life. And when we look up, we're reminded to cast our cares upon him because he cares for you. We're reminded that Jesus promised. He says, you come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You want rest? You want peace? You want hope? Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when we look to him, you get this guy that comes on the scene, the Antichrist. He's vicious and ferocious, and yet people live their lives sold out to the devil. And what does he do for them? Well, what, what is there to gain? You're destroying yourself? You're destroying the people that love you? Oh, all in the name of, and even a few believers along the way, like you, you're, li, you're, you're a, a believer, but you're living like the world. And all what's happening all the while, you're destroying yourself, the people that love you, in the name of freedom, in the name of, hey, this is just the way it is. You get along with the program. The Antichrist is real because the Bible says he's real. And he's given very precise. Let me look, let's look at one more thing. Uh, we looked at his appearance we looked at his authority. Thirdly, let's look at his amazement. His amazement, verse 3. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at his miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. So he's a master puppet of Satan himself, and he's able to marvel all the world. 
It says in verse 3, the whole world, and we keep emphasizing this because there are some that teach, some false teachings around that say the Great Tribulation period is just a small part of the world. It's not going to happen globally. Kind of like in the days of Noah, oh, there's no way God's going to judge the whole world. Maybe a little area, but there's an emphasis here that the impact of the Antichrist and therefore the impact of the Great Tribulation period is global. It's the whole world. So the whole world's marveling at him. Why? Because he has this wound, a wound that as he's being idolized, he's mortally wounded. Or it says in verse 3, his fatal wound, his wounded beyond recovery. And as they're marveling, notice it says, the world marvels at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. So there's an assassination attempt on him and... According to Zechariah, you can cross-reference in chapter 11, verse 17. It says, What sorrow awaits the worthless shepherd who abandons the flock? The sword will cut his arm and pierce his right eye. His arm will become useless and his right eye completely blind. Many believe that this is a description of the mortal wound that is received by the Antichrist. It will be in the eye and it will bring blindness. But this is, verse 3 is a setup. It's all a lie. It's a setup because at just the right time, he, the Antichrist rises up. And doesn't it make sense that the Antichrist would have a false resurrection? Because he's against Christ and he's also in place of Christ. So now he has this deadly wound. He has this, uh, this wound beyond recovery. He has this fatal wound. And it's the same Greek word that's used back in Revelation. Turn back to Revelation chapter 5. Chapter 5. And this is where we're going to end today. And we'll pick up the rest of the chapter next time. Notice Revelation chapter 5 verse 6. Then I saw the Lamb. Now those of you that have read ahead, or you can guess, who's the Lamb? Yes. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings among the 24 elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God. He sent into every part of the earth. The word slaughtered in the Greek is the same word that speaks of wounded for the Antichrist. And so there is some disagreement on exactly what happened to the Antichrist. Was it a real uh, death and a reanimation because, you know, the, the, the devil, he can't give life. He can't give resurrection life. Uh, he doesn't have the power to give life. But the Bible says that the devil comes with lying signs and wonders. He can operate in the spiritual realm and be deceptive through lying signs and wonders. Or in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, it speaks of him as this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. So they're fake. So the debate is whether they really died and came back to life in some way or it was a fake, it was a, truly a fatal wound, but he didn't die and it was a counterfeit that fools the world. You know, you can take whatever position you want but the reality is, is the devil's involved trying to fake the resurrection, trying to fake out the power that really he has. And it's in that deception that 
the world continues to grab onto him and looks up to him even more. But here's the thing. This is so cool. If we were studying verse by verse in Revelation, we would have been introduced in a previous chapter to the 144,000. The 144,000 evangelists, because during the great tribulation period, the last seven years of human history, God then turns his attention back to the nation of Israel. And he fulfills the promises that are yet to be fulfilled for the nation of Israel. And the, one of the promises that's yet to be is to see a massive wave of evangelism and salvation among the Jews. Because you go to Israel today, almost all of the country is very secular. Uh, they have some religious tendencies on Shabbat and such, but most of Israel, most of the Jews today identify as secular. And many of them don't even believe in God. And there's a blindness, remember, in part. I mean, this is all great stuff. I wish we could all lay it all out since we've probably got 12 inches of snow out there. We should just stick around for a while. But like you can go through Romans. If you want to, to study God's heart for Israel, then you should read through Romans chapter 8, 9, and 10 because it will give you, excuse me, 9, 10, and 11, really. Chapter 8 will kind of load, load in with no condemnation, but then he changed 9, 10, and 11, uh, looking specifically at God's heart for Israel. And then you read through and you just think, man, this is amazing what God wants to accomplish, how he wants to reach them. So in the midst of the deception, in the midst of the Antichrist having power, in the midst of the devil with lying signs and wonders, God's voice has not gone silent because there's still 144,000 people during the Great Tribulation period sharing the gospel with passion and fervor. And you know, no matter what you're going through, no matter what difficulty you have, no matter what you're facing, I want you to know this. God's voice is not silence. He is still speaking. He is still encouraging. He is still helping. If you and I will choose to look up or even look in and allow the word of God to encourage us and strengthen us, will allow the word of God to speak to us even as there is deception, even as you're in the middle of something hard, something difficult, so out of your control, you wish it wasn't happening, God's voice is not silent. Besides the guys that are speaking, there's still those two witnesses performing awesome signs. The devil's got his fakery, but then there's angels flying around proclaiming the word. And then there's the dragon pushing forth lies and great deceptions. So in the midst of truth, the battle between truth and error, darkness and light, what hangs in the middle, what hangs in the balance is who will you choose to believe? Because you can't help but hearing both of them. You can't help but being surrounded by lies. You can't, you're in a world filled with lies and deception. The Bible says that the world today, even before this episode, before the last seven years, the Bible says that this world is under the sway of the wicked one. It's under the influence of the, I mean, this culture, this world, again, not just our country, but this world, this world filled with men and women rebelliously rejecting the love of God has placed themselves under the sway of the wicked one. Just the way the world does things, the way the system operates. You know, you have a threefold enemy. The world, we all agree that the world is a challenging foe, a formidable foe. Well, how about this? Your flesh. <laughs> you know, many times the greatest enemy in my life is not the devil and is not the Antichrist. The biggest enemy in my life is me. I have the hardest time with me submitting and surrendering myself and surrender and sacrifice and obedience to God. So you've got the world system, you've got your flesh, 
and you've got the devil. And what is, how does it all operate? The devil uses the culture to entice your flesh. And then he leaves and he lets you make the decision. I mean, have you, has this never happened to you? Have you been watching a television show, engrossed in it, maybe watching a ball game or something, engrossed in it, and then in the middle of the game or middle of the show, there's a commercial break, and you see 30 seconds of a commercial that moves you to want something you weren't even thinking about, you weren't even concerned about. You didn't know you needed a Whopper and you were so hungry. But when they put that up in your face on your big screen TV, you automatically became hungry. And now you're dialing up DoorDash to get a Whopper delivered to your door. You don't think this world influences you? You don't think that the power of this, that's a simple commercial, that's, that's just a commercial. You live and eat you abide, you work. Everything about your life is in this culture. I think we're so much in this culture, like a fish. Like, explain to a fish that they're in water. They just live in it. They adapt themselves to it. In many cases, a fish requires water. And yet, you and I are not of this world. Don't forget this as we finish up next time. Don't forget, you're not of this world. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, first and foremost. You are not of this world. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. And I know you might be crying out, Lord, take me out. No, the answer with Jesus was, I'm going to leave you here. You are here by the will of God. He'll take you home when it's his time. He'll take you home when you're done. But until then, we need to be faithful doing the work of the, of the Lord, doing what God has called us to do. Amen? Father, thank you for this insight on the Antichrist and even what we're learning about his appearance and you know, just how deceptive he is. And, and uh, Lord, help us to understand the days in which we live and forgive us for settling into areas of comfort and ease. Forgive us for being at times a church that has a name that we're alive, but we're dead inside going through the motions. And I pray that for our church. I pray it first with the leaders, our pastors, that they would rise to the occasion and they would not go through the motions, but they would passionately pursue the call that you placed upon their lives. And I pray that for our elders. I pray that for their wives. I pray that, God, for the lay leaders in our church. I pray that we would not go through the motions the men and women you're raising up to serve, not only in our church and our community. And I pray you would forgive us for laziness and for not pressing into the things that you have for us in our lives, in our families, in our parenting, in our singleness. Forgive us for not abiding in you, Lord, and taking our lead from you. Forgive us, God, for having a name that we're alive. And at times like the Pharisees, we're filled, we're like whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. And I pray that there would be some listening that just has to admit that because you can bring life to the dry bones as you showed us in Ezekiel, but you will not bring life to a resistant, rebellious, stiff-necked people. And here we are, a remnant of our church, Lord. Let this be the beginning of something great. 
Let it be a stirring of your word in our hearts and our minds that we would surrender our lives to you. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do just that. I'm going to invite you, if you need to repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ into your life, ask him to save your soul, would you just stand to your feet today? I'd like to pray with you that this would be the moment, this would be the time. Right here, the appointment of God for your life. He loves you that much that he would arrange all the circumstances for you to be here in this moment. That you might know that you know that your life is right with God. That you would have a confidence and assurance that your sins have been forgiven. One of the greatest antidotes to the guilt in your life is to have your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only way you'll experience forgiveness. You can't drink it away. You can't smoke it away. You can't snort it away. You can't have sex to get it away. You can't run away from it. Only the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from your sin and remove the guilt and the shame that comes with our bad decisions, our sinful decisions. Is there anyone here who would say, Ed, that's me. Today's the day, and now is the moment. What a privilege. What an honor. God bless you over here. Is there anyone else? Say, that's me. You guys out on the radio, of course, on this snow day, watching online. God loves you. And it's such a joy to know that you're pressing in to hear the word of God. And, and, and God wants to reach you there too. Right in your car, at work, right in the kitchen table, wherever you may be. That's how much he loves you. He allowed man to invent technology so that you could be reached through technology. It's amazing. It just never ceases to amaze me. So if you responded today, I want to lead you in a prayer because the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so pray with me to God. And you can use my words and you can change them up depending on where you're at in your life. But you're talking to God and you could say something like this. You say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins and I believe and I'm grateful that you sent Jesus Christ into the world, the one true Son of God to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day forward. And I'm asking you, God, to help me turn away from my sinful past and follow you all the days of my life. And God, anyone, anywhere that would pray to you, I know you hear them. And I just hope the seed of the gospel goes down on good ground and a good heart, good soil. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.